Hello and welcome! Once again, you find yourself in the History Obscura Reading Room, the place where dark and mysterious stories of the past are pulled one by one from their ancient shelves and shared with a discerning few. Tonight, I will be recounting several stories on the subject of ancient aliens, one of my favorite topics. First, I'm going to open up the Book of Glendaloo, which is officially filed as the exciting Rawlinson B. 502 in the Baudelaire Library. Of course, I have my own copy. If you aren't familiar with the Baudelaire Library, that is the largest UK university library collection, with more than 13 million printed items in its catalogue. Not as impressive as my library here, but still quite an accomplishment. The Book of Glendaloo was written in a combination of Latin and Middle Irish, which had to be translated, of course, by the original librarians who guarded these shelves. And then again, when English grew too far from its Latin and Germanic roots. I suppose it will require another translation soon enough. But while we are all still dwelling in the age of modern English, let's have a look, shall we? Once upon a time in Glendaloo, Ireland, all the way back in the 12th century, there was a town by the name of Cloera. In this town is a church dedicated to St. Kinaros. There happened one Sunday, while the people were at Mass, a marvel. It befell that an anchor was dropped from the sky with a rope attached to it, and one of the flukes caught in the arch above the church door. The people rushed out of the church and saw in the sky a ship with men on board floating before the anchor cable, and they saw a man leap overboard and jump down to the anchor as if to release it. He looked as if he were swimming in water. The folk rushed up and tried to seize him, but the bishop forbade the people to hold the man, for it might kill him. The man was freed and hurried up to the ship where the crew cut the rope and the ship sailed out of sight. But the anchor is in the church and has been there ever since as a testimony. In fact, that anchor has long since been collected from its resting place. Could you guess where it resides now, dear listeners? <laughs> well, no matter. Moving forward in time to April of 1561, there was a published news article with large woodcut image. Known as the Nuremberg Broadsheet, the image printed on the article depicts the sun large in the center of the page and transfixed with a frustrated grimace on its cartoonishly human face. Filling the air all around the sun are large spheres, cylinders, and crosses colored in blue, brown, and orange. On the ground near the city of Nuremberg, many of those colored spheres have collected like cannonballs, causing thick gray smoke to rise up in plumes. Above the horizon lay an immense black figure, with one end pointed and the other flat. Do have a look at the image, which has been posted on Twitter at Hist Obscura Pod, and also published at 
historyobscurapodcast.com. The text below the woodcut printing reads as follows. In the morning of April 14, 1561, at daybreak, between 4 and 5 a.m., a dreadful apparition occurred on the sun, and then this was seen in Nuremberg in the city, before the gates and in the country by many men and women. At first, there appeared in the middle of the sun two blood-red semicircular arcs, just like the moon in its last quarter. And in the sun, above and below and on both sides, the color was blood. There stood a round ball of partly dull, partly black, ferrous color. Likewise, there stood on both sides, and as a torus about the sun, such blood-red ones and other balls in large number, about three in a line and four in a square, also some alone. In between these globes there were visible a few blood-red crosses, between which there were blood-red strips, becoming thicker to the rear, and in the front malleable like the rods of reed grass, which were intermingled, among them two big rods, one on the right, the other to the left, and within the small and big rods there were three, also four and more globes. These all started to fight among themselves, so that the globes, which were first in the sun, flew out to the ones standing on both sides. Thereafter, the globes standing outside the sun, in the small and large rods, flew into the sun. The globes flew back and forth among themselves and fought vehemently with each other for over an hour. And when the conflict in and again out of the sun was most intense, they became fatigued to such an extent that they all fell from the sun down upon the earth as if they all burned, and they then wasted away on the earth with immense smoke. And after all this, there was something like a black spear very long and thick sighted. The shaft pointed to the east, the point pointed west. Whatever such signs mean, God alone knows. Although we have seen, shortly one after another, many kinds of signs on the heaven, which are sent to us by the Almighty God to bring us to repentance, we still are, unfortunately, so ungrateful that we despise such high signs and miracles of God, or we speak of them with ridicule and discard them to the wind, in order that God may send us a frightening punishment on account of our ungratefulness. After all, the God-fearing will by no means discard these signs, but will take it to heart as a warning of their merciful Father in heaven, will mend their lives and faithfully beg God that he may avert his wrath, including the well-deserved punishment, on us, so that we may temporarily here and perpetually there live as his children. For it, may God grant us his help. Amen. By Hans Glasser, Letter Painter of Nuremberg A story from Japan in 1235 mentions lights in the sky that baffled onlookers. Here's the text. One night, a high officer named General Yoritsumi and his army were settling down in their camp when they spotted mysterious lights in the sky. The general and his troops watched in astonishment as these lights performed amazing aerobatic movements, such as circling endlessly and flying in loops. 
baffled by the bizarre aerial display. General Yoritsumi ordered a scientific investigation of what he had just witnessed. The explanation Yoritsumi's scientists gave the general oozed with comfort and calm. The whole thing is completely natural, Yoritsumi was told about the mysterious lights. It is only the wind making the stars sway. Let's move on to the final manuscript of the night, which comes from one John Winthrop, governor of the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1639. Winthrop and his deputy, Thomas Dudley, founded the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1630 with a group of 1,000 Puritan refugees from England. The Puritans subscribed to a form of Protestantism that had become more extreme since the reformation of King Henry VIII. Though King Henry and his heirs, both King Edward VI and Queen Elizabeth I, had taken great strides in breaking England apart from the Catholic Church and establishing a Protestant-style Church of England, those of the Puritan faith did not find those changes to be quite sufficient. Puritans were disgusted with the opulence of Catholicism and its near-relative faiths, and believed that it was best to worship God in a humble and non-materialistic manner. Instead of ceremony and ritual, they wanted powerful sermons and strict adherence to the Ten Commandments. At odds with the majority Church of England, the Puritans were not only persecuted in social circles, but liable to lose their lucrative positions within the aristocracy. King James I of Great Britain was expected to sympathize with the Puritans given his own Calvinist beliefs, however he refused to make significant concessions. Feeling powerless, many English Puritan families decided to strike out for new lands in which they were free to worship as they saw fit. As many as 80,000 people emigrated from England between 1620 and 1640, a time known as the Great Migration. Among these were, of course, John Winthrop and his colonists. And it seems that although the Puritans were very much finished with spooky tales and such in their church, they were still rather open-minded about such things in the wider world. You see, our John Winthrop kept a diary in which he recorded his colonial efforts, and within those pages are numerous references to supernatural events and objects. On March the 1st, 1639, John Winthrop recorded a strange event in that diary that had come to his attention from a man called James Everill. Winthrop wrote that Everill was a sober, discreet man who had been rowing a boat in the muddy river when he and his companions saw a great light in the night sky. When it stood still, it flamed up and was about three yards square, the governor reported. When it ran, it was contracted into the figure of a swine. The figure ran as swift as an arrow. Diverse other credible persons saw the same light after, about the same place. In January of 1644, the diary again reports supernatural events on the water. A voice was heard upon the water between Boston and Dorchester, 
calling out in a most dreadful manner, "Boy, boy, come away, come away!" And it suddenly shifted from one place to another a great distance, about twenty times. It was heard by diverse godly persons. About fourteen days after, the same voice, in the same dreadful manner, was heard by others on the other side of the town towards Nottles Island. I hope you've enjoyed this special little peek into the history of obscure bookshelves. Good night.